0: So I wanted to give you guys the first heads up that I'm just about to reboot my course, Go For Your Win. It was a really cool experience launching that course last year. Got to meet a ton of cool people, provide that content, get the feedback, and now I'm altering it, changing it, and revising it so that it is absolutely the best course that it can be. Now, the purpose of the course is to help people find out what their unique win is. When we're kids, we all have an idea about that, what we want to be, maybe we want to be an astronaut or a hero or a champion of some sort. And we want to have the best friends and play and, and the girl of our dreams, we all want all that. And then over time, we learn to settle, settle for something less, settle for something that's not satisfactory. And there's always that voice in the back of our head saying, there could be more, you could do more. There's something else out there. You're not living your passion, you're not living your dream. And so the course was designed to help people understand and translate what those whispers are coming from your higher self, the whispers of your potential, and really translate that into an actionable plan. You know, how do you get from here to there? How do you start the process? Because ultimately, all there is, is the process. How do you get on the path for your win? Because when you're on the path for your win, then you're winning. And then in addition to figuring all that out, it talks about how to train the essential skills from meditation to flotation to ecstatic dance to just sheer toughness will determination choice and then of course in the final section we talk about how to deal with resistance that thing that prevents us from going from the state we currently are to the state that we want to be it's that steady present force that Stephen Pressfield writes about in his books like the war of art the course is like over 30,000 words that I've written. It's going to have some audio material as well, and there's going to be small group coaching options as well as a mastermind option to get together and celebrate with the fam here at it, it, and myself as well. Uh, it's going to have access to an exclusive Facebook group that I'm going to be dropping in doing live calls. It's going to be dope. So if you want to work with me, you know understand what your win looks like, how to get there, how to train the essential skills, how to deal with resistance, I highly recommend checking it out and it should be dropping soon. There's nowhere that I can send you right now that has all the adequate information, but um, keep tuned. Tune into my social media and this podcast, and I'll let you know when it drops. Jason Pfeiffer is one of those guys that worked himself up from nothing into the job of his dreams. He's currently the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine and also the host of several podcasts. We had an awesome conversation. It was super inspiring, and I know you guys are going to get a lot out of it.
1: I have, this, I have this theory of speaking, of public speaking. It's called the theory of interlocking parts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is that what you need to do is build this menu of interlocking parts in your head, of like five-minute interlocking parts. And then once you have a large enough menu, you can go and speak on stage to any crowd without any preparation because you can just pull the interlocking parts down yep. as needed. Yep. And... As someone who's just getting into the speaking game, my menu is small. And so I'm very conscious of building the menu.
0: It's funny to me when I'm watching like the Miss United States, my fiance was a former pageant winner, national pageant oh, winner. Yeah. But I'll watch that and I'll be like, Man, it's so easy and they freak out so hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like you got to just think about things. You got to be constantly but I guess for them their life isn't like our life which is podcasting, talking about ideas, having interesting conversations about different topics, formulating your philosophy about, you know, everything that's already out there. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's it's a helpful process to just have conversations and have these podcasts and you got two podcasts and Mm -hmm. all these even offline conversations where you're just having coffee with somebody and exploring different topics i think people would do themselves a favor if they pushed out of the bounds of what they normally talk about like i like having dinner parties where i'll propose a question like jeffersonian style like propose a question (laughs) to the table you know like like i proposed a question you know Recently, and you know, I have my own spiritual understanding of things, but I said, All right, everyone, what makes God laugh? And that's a very loaded question because you have your definition of God, and then you have like, so it was very insightful to me, like whether they believed in a God, whether they didn't believe in a God, and how they viewed the world. And just like watching everybody's response to that question was dope because then you like, did you really come up with that question the, on the fly? Yeah, I came up with that question. Well, I came up with that question earlier, and and I was thinking about it, and I was pondering it. It was like my own Zen cone, of yeah. like. And then I finally actually asked it to Whitney, and she came up with what I thought was like the perfect answer. What was her answer? Well, I won't tell you. I got to ask you now first. <laughs> what, what makes what makes God laugh? Oh, it's such a that's such a tough
1: one for me to break apart because one, I I'm not religious at all. So right. I, I, I. Nor am I, I. I. Yeah, I mean, I'm Jew, I'm Jewish by tribe, but not by any faith. Right. And so I spend zero time thinking about what God <laughs> is or might be or might be to other people. I also think that w- what <laughs> it's, it was such a tough question because what would make somebody laugh? Like, what kind of sense of humor would God have? Uh, yeah. There's a couple different ways you could go with it, right? One is that we are some kind of amusement for God. <laughs> and therefore, that's almost laughing of, at, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. That
0: projects this differentiation, laughing at. Yeah. Well, you know? so
1: if God is, so I mean, maybe I'm just taking the question too literally, but if God is omnipresent, all knowing, then nothing is going to surprise God. And right. therefore, What often makes us laugh is that we are surprised in a delighted way. And so if he cannot be or she or whatever, it cannot be surprised in that way, then I feel like God would only laugh if God was an actor, if God had created (laughs) something simply for God's own amusement. (laughs) It's the only thing that would make somebody laugh if they already know everything. Because the only thing that God doesn't know is perhaps what god would do next right and so god can delight god i'm like at this point i've tried to not use pronouns but god would delight god by, <laughs> by um by
0: doing something new because
1: that it, that would literally be the only thing that would be new so there is
0: nothing new so i think it really becomes ultimately a choice of whether how you look at the world god either laughs at nothing because everything is really serious or god laughs at everything because everything you know, in the span of time everything was just imagining the whole world, all of infinity bursting out in a single moment and all the crazy things we do, people laughing at their farts and struggle and triumph <laughs> and jokes and love and all of this. And I could just imagine, and you know, this was Whitney's answer. She's thought about it for a second and goes, Well, everything. Because in mm. that moment, you know, as it all the universe infinitely expands is like, oh, oh, wow. That was a, that was a good <laughs> one, right? Look at this right? thing. Look at this thing. <laughs> this Wasn't thing. that amazing? This whoo! thing just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. You know, and it's just that, it's just, I think the way you're thinking about it is exactly right. Like it's either, you're either an everything or a nothing person or you just, the question just fucks you up because yeah. you have no concept of, you know, you can't fathom that concept right. of God. No,
1: I like that answer also because I have laughed many times at that something worked. You know, like like, that I did something and it worked and that is on its own funny because, (laughs) oh my God, this is happening. You know, the last time that that happened, I I actually, I just wrote about this for an upcoming issue of the magazine. So I've been... I've been thinking about how to self-promote better because I've always been very apologetic about self-promotion. I feel like it's almost it's almost like a burden, like now you have to listen to this other thing that I make. You know, when I when I created a new podcast, I sent it out to all my friends and the subject line was in case you're not sick of my voice. Right? It's like <laughs> right. trying to be sort of apologetic about it. But I watch entrepreneurs and they're all very thoughtful about how they promote, but very importantly, they always frame it as this thing is useful to you. It's not useful to me. The self-promotion isn't useful to me. It's useful to you because you should know and benefit from this thing that I made. And so I thought, can I do that? What would be the framework by which I do that? And I thought, oh, well, this is a good solution to this problem that I have, which is what do I do with the bazillion people who are connecting with me on LinkedIn who I don't know?
0: because I didn't know what to, right, know yeah, what to yeah. do with these
1: people. They're all connecting with me. I was like, do I add them to my network? And then I've diluted my network. D- does it matter? Who cares about LinkedIn? Anyway, so I decided here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write this message and it's going to say, hello, thank you for connecting with me on LinkedIn. I-, I assume you are already familiar with Entrepreneur Magazine. So let me tell you about some of the other resources that I've created for you. And then I tell them about my podcasts and newsletter. And I wrote this thing out. It's like 200 words. And then I approved hundreds of people at the same time. And I just sent them all this message. <laughs> and you know what they did? They wrote back and they were like, thank you so much. Oh, this is so interesting. Oh, I subscribed right now. Right. And I, I I, laughed out loud. I mean, every time it happened, I laughed out loud because sure. it, it worked. Yeah. It worked exactly as I wanted it to. And that is funny. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I'm with that. I'm with that 100%. When, uh, when you're thinking about like – That act, you really got to believe that you have something of value. And I think that's what separates the good entrepreneurs from the ones that are just kind of flash in the pan or the ones that you just get that kind of feeling like, oh, like a ghost just walked in the room. Like there's something a little off with the energy. And the good ones, they believe that what they're providing is of value. So the reciprocity exchange is even you know Mm -hmm. like i'm giving you goods services information that are actually of service to you so if you give me your money attention time that the equation is going to equal out and if any if anything the 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 better entrepreneurs are going to try and deposit even more into that bank say my goods, services you know message is going to be even better than what i'm receiving from you in return and, and maintaining that positive balance and then if they need to make a withdrawal you know then and really have an ask like hey i'd really love it if you guys could support me in this you know campaign or whatever yeah and and go for that you got you got a deposit that you can withdraw. Upon. That's right.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, it's Gary V's jab, 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 punch or whatever his right. framework yeah, is, so is. That's a, a
0: way more violent thing. Yeah. It feels like you're just getting <laughs> I pummeled. Don't, why, why did <laughs> you feels like you're use that just metaphor? Yeah. It's such a strange thing. It more better than like kiss, kiss, hand job. But it yeah. Been like a, a better, <laughs> a better way to do it. I think. <laughs> but he, but
1: but also the thing is, there is a understanding of the person that you're reaching out to, which is really useful, right? Like yeah. the it's so clear that they understand how to un- how to connect with the customer and what the customer is looking for. Like what is that – What when you're pitching out, you can either pitch it out in a way in which it seems like you do not understand who you're reaching out to or, or in which you, you understand exactly the needs of the person that you're reaching out to. Well, if you
0: reach to. out to someone you don't know what they need and you're just blabbing in their ear, you're making a withdrawal on their time and attention and providing no yeah, value. that's right. Right? So you're already creating a negative balance. And those are like – you know, one of my marketing consultant friends, George Bryan, he calls us creating body bags. It's like you've created a negative deficit that you're going to have to overcome by earbeating someone with your idea that that they're not interested in. Yeah, you know. So really crafting that and finding your market and message is, is right.
1: And you're also then just burning your own time yeah exactly. Right. I mean you're the number of people I, I this is my inbox is full of people wasting their own damn time reaching out to me <laughs> you, know? like, you shouldn't there's so many people who shouldn't reach out to me yeah you know because you're pitching your product or your company or whatever and you're pitching it to the wrong person and you're pitching it in the wrong way and so you are You've wasted a tiny amount of my time, the amount of time that it takes me to open the email, identify that it is not for me, and then delete it, which is not that much time. It took you a lot longer to find me, find my email address, write that thing out. I'll give you a perfect example. I recently got an email from this guy who created a bottle cap opener so okay imagine it it's like,
0: so whoa I know the, cap things, okay. you're blowing my imagine, mind here Jason so the problem
1: is that nobody can open bottles <laughs> oh right? wow have you, been bottle- have
0: you ever found yourself a hundreds of years of open? bottles and
1: nobody knows how to get inside of them there's delicious liquid <laughs> everywhere in this world there's no it's, way to access it it's so it. strange that all these companies have been putting it inside of a tool that nobody can open <laughs> why would you do that so there's a uh, so there's a bottle cap so okay so imagine a bottle cap opener except imagine it as a kind of longer platform maybe eight inches of platform with a, on one end okay. the, the the whatever the the metal Isn't that that like opens the, the bar key out? that every bar back
0: yeah and every it is kind with. of like that actually it's
1: totally <laughs> so you would you would put it um you'd put it you'd angle it on there you'd sort of affix it to the bottle cap and then you would slam your fist down on the platform and the cap would go flying 20 feet in the air <laughs> okay that's the that's the that's the product uh-huh uh uh-huh. now who does this appeal to Frat boys? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it feels to. Feels to somebody, presumably. He had he had launched a Kickstarter for this product, and he was looking for people to know about it and therefore contribute to the Kickstarter. And he reached
0: out to me. Now <laughs> this. This is like w- you were going to be editor in chief of yeah, Bottom. Yeah, no, Damn, that's a good idea. I got a spot on. the spot on the cover so, for you, dog. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, good,
1: right. We were going to run Tim Ferriss on the cover. Get Tim off. Tim, we're just sorry. Putting, we're just putting the bottle cap. So the
0: bottle bottle cap ejaculator yeah. <laughs> is is the new hot thing. It's we're calling real. it early. Yeah,
1: it's like the pre- it's like the projectile vomitor of bottle <laughs> yeah. cap openers. So. Okay, so so let let us diagnose the problem here. Uh, let, let's accept that uh-huh. this has an audience. Mm-hmm. Somebody wants this bottle cap opener. That there are nineteen year old dudes out there. We might
0: have just sold a bunch of them. We probably just. It's too bad I don't remember the name of the product. So actually, this whole story is actually, actually going to be ironic because it's fucking paying off for him right now. He's the one laughing at us. Uh, right now. We just
1: devoted four minutes of this to <laughs> this thing. <laughs> <laughs> completely defeating the purpose of my story, but then, <laughs> so let's, let's imagine we didn't have this conversation and it just ended in my inbox. Yeah. So he has reached out to the editor of a magazine for creators. Right. When somebody's coming to the magazine, they're not mm. thinking of themselves as consumers; they're thinking of themselves as creators, and therefore they're not really in a buying mindset. And also, they're not his right demo because our demos older than... I mean, we actually do have some teenage readers, which is awesome to hear from, but mostly they're older. Uh, And so he has found the wrong guy in every possible way. It's not his demo. It's not the kind of reader who would convert into the kind of person that he wants. So, had he spent time thinking, here's what I need. What I need is press that will move dollars to my Kickstarter. Then he should have identified the Press outlets that reach that consumer Total and then reach out to them. Total frat move would have been perfect.
0: Yeah. Entrepreneur. Chive, maybe. You could have. Chive. A, you could have licensed it to the Chive for, you know, no, some totally.
1: Because like the Chive does really. Big. They, they have a really big merchandise yeah, They're gonna have girls business. with
0: boobs that were slamming things totally. down and oh, bottle my caps God. were flying out you in the run air it in and slow they're slow mo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If anyone
1: from the chive, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, oh, we just we just made some we de- <laughs> made some money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, but entrepreneurs is just not the place, right? right? So he by not understanding his audience, he wasted his own time more yeah. than he wasted my time.
0: It was interesting when we were talking, too, about, you know, most so many people want to be entrepreneurs and so many people want to start a business. Yeah. And you were mentioning what the most trafficked article yeah. ever for your magazine yeah. and your online was. And so tell us what the title of that of that article was. Right. So for, for years running now, I, I
1: might have the number wrong, but for years running now, the most trafficked article is... Need a business idea? Here are 52. <laughs> and and the pieces, it's not, they're not detailed. It's like number seven, the uh, auto mechanic, number, <laughs> number, right, like, number, number, number eight, the uh, 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 bottle cap manufacturer, <laughs> yeah, yeah. whatever it is. It's really, it's really simple. But I find that, okay, there's like a couple things to say about this. Number one is that every industry has. These things that disappoint the people who work in the industry, <laughs> yeah. right? Like I I have a friend who works at Macy's in the buying department and she was complaining to me recently about how everybody in that department is really bummed out that the best selling plates are these ugly ass yellow plates with butterflies on them, right? Because people, when you work at a job, you want to be innovative and you want to be finding new things and, and you want to... Be kind of high minded. And you're constantly reminded that that's not always what the consumer wants. Right. Sometimes the consumer wants this thing that disappoints your creative sensibility. And
0: that's also a good entrepreneur can recognize and can just listen. Yes. Like, all right, well, the people have spoken. That's right. You know, and my ideas about what it should be or how it should be are not more important than what people actually want.
1: Totally. You know,
0: that it reminds me
1: of. So my friend Kevin runs one of those paint and sip. Uh, You know what a paint and sip is? No. So you show up at... It's a studio and you show up and you get a painting class and you bring your own wine or beer or something. There's tons of them. There's a bunch of franchises called the Pinot's Palette. They're all these cheeky names. Uh Uh, Kevin runs one called Painting Lounge in New York. And at first, he's a he's a painter, but he, he's he's an amazing painter. And at first, he thought he would teach people how to paint the classics. People would want to come in. They want to learn how to do Picasso, whatever.
0: Nah, nudes, dog. No,
1: no not even. <laughs> they just want what landscapes. Land- <laughs>
0: <laughs> landscapes.
1: Landscapes. That's what they want. They want like cheesy landscapes and they want buildings and whatever. Why do they want that? I, I, I don't know. He was initially disappointed by it. But you know what? You got to you got to appreciate what your audience wants and roll with it. And so he changed his entire business towards that, and it, it took off after that. Yeah, you know, it's like you you um you have to sometimes you 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 can be I think you can be like too too high minded or too complex for your own audience and you have to meet them where they want you to
0: be it's a balance of providing exactly what they want and maybe steering the future of what is possible it's that kind of visionary versus just being of service to what is now to being of service of what will be and kind of moving the industry forward like apple runs rides that line really hard like when they took out the like the headphone jack out of their recent phones. Uh-huh. Like, that's a fucking aggressive move. Really aggressive. Like, really aggressive move. It's not what people were asking for. People were like, that damn annoying headphone jack. Right. <laughs> I hate really? being able to charge my phone and listen to music at the same time. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, but they're like really just driving, you know, the market towards simplicity. Mm-hmm. And but you I don't know, what know people, which side of that. People you know, did, they were
1: addressing a problem though, which is that people hated having the wire connected from their head to their
0: phone yeah
1: i hated it i i was it was getting caught on doorknobs it was like yeah. yanking out but, every time every time I not would the leave problem my with the hole
0: you know like now you go to an uber and if you don't have a dongle you got to listen to whatever yeah, fucking right. crazy <laughs> world music that they're playing or they're <laughs> classical or whatever and you're not into it you know fortunately now i carry i have a little man purse mm-hmm. so i carry my dongle always in my man purse but it's like requiring like an extra set of tech you didn't just get bluetooth headphones
1: no, your, but like, earbuds? I do
0: have that, but I'm talking like in an Uber. Yeah. You know, when you have the AUX cord, uh-huh. go into the Uber and mm-hmm. you're trying to play music, like situations like that. If they just had that little hole there, the hole wouldn't bother me. Right. I'd still rock my That's Bluetooth, yeah. but the hole was available. But they're like, they're like aggressive. Right. And I think there's some wisdom to that. It's that balance of like serving the current market, yeah. but then also driving it forward a little bit. And they can go too far, you know, mm-hmm. you can go, and I think, but really kind of finding that line. So for you guys, it's serving that man, I just want to start a business, any business. I'm just curious. I'm just tired of working for somebody. My boss is an asshole. I just love fantasizing and thinking about it. You yeah. know? And then there's the other people who are like in there and want to dive deep and get a lot of real value out of the more interesting pieces. And I think you got to just respect that spectrum. Yes,
1: right? you totally do. And you, you serve it all. It's a lot easier to serve it all digitally because people can come in in different ways. I mean, nobody, nobody just goes to a website anymore. You know, no, literally nobody goes to – nobody sits down at their computer, types in entrepreneur.com, and then goes and surfs. I wish they did, yeah. but they don't. They also don't type in newyorktimes.com and just go – they come in through social. Yeah. You know, or they come in through search, uh, like on Google. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's easier to serve those broad needs digitally When you're making a print magazine, it's a lot harder because you want to create this mix that's valuable to everybody who receives it. And those people are coming from lots of different points of view and lots of different levels of experience. And so when I took this magazine over, which was at this point just over a year ago, I thought, how do we make this magazine feel, first of all, as relevant to the culture as the word entrepreneur is? Because 10 years ago, nobody, five years ago, nobody, nobody knew how to spell entrepreneur, certainly. right? <laughs> but they also, I don't think, really connected with it as a, as a identity in the way that they do now. There's a culture of entrepreneurism. People identify with that word. And so I thought, we need the Almost magazine idolize
0: to... that word. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really weird how, yeah. that's, how that's come. And then there's the other word, serial entrepreneur, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, oh, <laughs> wow. And to me, I'm like, that just seems, that, that word has always bothered me. Because that just feels like a trickster to me, like someone who like knows the formula and just puts out little like, oh, here's a little trick, here's a little trick. Right. Like, I like the- I'm more about like, yeah, create something, but create something you love, Mm -hmm. like, and really like put your soul into it, not just like make this little formula work all the time. But I respect that as well. You know, like we need these little things, but it's it's funny how that's put on such a pedestal. Like, yeah, it's put it in a bio, serial entrepreneur. Like that's like a good thing. Yeah,
1: it's really it's also funny. uh, You know, I hadn't thought about it until you pointed it out. But the way that we think about the word entrepreneur is, at least I do. I think the. People ask me to define entrepreneur all the time. It's a strange thing that entrepreneurs are obsessed with is defining the word. And yeah. I always define it as an entrepreneur is someone who makes shit happen for themselves. Yeah. That's that's the definition. You are that. You whether there it's it's strange to affix serial to that, right? It's yeah. like you right, know, right. it's like it's like a it's like calling myself a serial breather. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a breather. I do it all the time, <laughs> day and night, right? And never stop yeah. doing it. Uh, you, why why do I need to affix serial to it? Like you either are that kind of person or you're not. It, it's almost like what you really mean to say is serial company launcher or serial right.
0: new brand builder or yeah, something. But those those terms get conflated. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's a really good definition of entrepreneur actually because that it really expands that because in that instance, you would for sure consider yourself an entrepreneur in that I do. regard. Yeah, You know, even though you're working for a magazine mm-hmm. that you didn't start, no, you know, but in that way, you're making shit happen for yourself. I mean, you told a story at the end of, you know, at the end of our panel about something that you say to yourself every day. And it yeah. won't steal your son. What do you say to yourself? <laughs> and when did you start saying
1: it? So yeah, I'll let me, let me, I'll do that. I'll do that in reverse order. So when did I start saying it? I started as a community newspaper reporter. My first job was at the Gardner news circulation, 6,000, uh, covering, Nothing. There was nothing. To, it, was, it was so hard. Local. I feel for everyone in local news, it's a challenging thing to do because there's not always a lot happening. You've got to pump out stories, and quite frankly, if you're the kind of person as I was who had larger ambitions, it is a daily bruising of the ego <laughs> <laughs> to show up and have to. I mean, I literally did a series on the local diners because I just I, I gotta find something, <laughs> right? Um, and just I eating Rubens, it was, it was just a lot Re- of them. <laughs> it was a lot of that. it was the to, it was the omelet tour of Gardner, Massachusetts, and I thought to myself, I I need to. Get out of here, but I I I have a steep road ahead. I've no I have no connections. I've done no fancy internships. I I just don't I don't have anywhere to go with this. I have no ladder to climb. I got to build the ladder first. And so at some point when I started making serious moves, I I quit two newspaper jobs to freelance. One of them was to move to Boston because I had been freelancing them for them for a bit, and I saw a potential opening at the magazine and I wanted it. And so I quit my newspaper job and I moved to Boston and I took on this high rent and uh, told the editor in chief of Boston magazine, I was ready to come work for him. It was, it was the risk that made my career because they hired me. So at some point during that, you
0: already, you, you got a place before you got your job. Correct. Yeah. So you just put, you pushed basically all I put,
1: I went all in and it
0: was, it was a cold call to Boston magazine. No, no,
1: sorry. So I, I, I was, I was working my second – I quit my first newspaper job. I yeah. sat in my bedroom for nine months in Holden, Massachusetts, living next to a graveyard, looking out <laughs> upon my career, and then cold-pitched symbolism pitched- is rich. Yeah, I know it is. <laughs> it's rich. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Rent was only $500, so uh-huh. not so bad. And I just cold-pitched. I just cold-pitched everybody, and I got some pieces after nine months into – the Washington Post, Salon, B- Boston Globe, Associated Press, and then I got a job at a slightly larger community newspaper called the Worcester Telegra- Telegram and Gazette. <clears throat> and
0: Who hasn't heard of that?
1: Yeah, it's 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 key. Well, it used to be owned by the New York Times, <laughs> right. actually. So, right. so back off! <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit! Shit, all right. <laughs> we call it the TNG. So I I was worried worked that job for like... Two something years. And while I was doing that, I was also freelancing on the side constantly. Uh So I would, I would wake up early in the morning and I would pitch stories and I would freelance out of my bedroom. Then I'd go to my shift at like 2.30 PM and I'd be there till 10.30 and then I'd drive back home and then I'd write some more often. And that, that, those are my days. And I got some steady work under the graveyard wander the graveyard I know
0: we actually did sometimes wander the graveyard yeah. it was like there's nothing else to do in Holden Massachusetts <laughs> <laughs> what else are you going just, to do just editing tombstone mistakes yeah, we, like, we, oh, we, still haven't fixed that one so <laughs> <laughs> still, still misspelled that And right. it's, it's loving mis- mummery yeah. uh, oh, man, it. it's been
1: been misspelled since 1857 <laughs> like somebody's got to get around to that thing um, yeah some, it, like it was like the recreation space sometimes yeah. me and my friends would like go around and like throw a football around in this graveyard <laughs> there's nothing to do so 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 eventually I got this steady work at Boston Magazine just by pitching them and pitching them.
0: Wait, first and, of all, how many yeah. people do you think have died recreationally in a graveyard like Ooh, that's a like, good like, question. Like tripped and fallen and hit the head and on the And then do tombstone? you think that you get buried in that graveyard <laughs> I don't know. or do you get
1: transported to a different graveyard? I, I
0: probably transported <laughs> just to make it complicated.
1: <laughs> it certainly must have happened. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, there was actually, you know what? There was a great there was a great gravestone. I haven't thought about this in so many years. There was a great gravestone in that graveyard. It it was it described getting um the guy, it was a Scottish immigrant in the early 1800s who got shot in a fight and it they a said duel. that and they mentioned the killer's name on the gravestone <laughs> wow yeah wow because it's like you know, shot by so and this is not being duel. forgotten yeah, yeah uh-huh right this is we not being forgotten yeah, we will always remember <laughs> fuck you he <Yeah>, like, <laughs> should have just put in, fuck you okay. yeah. so uh uh as i had this time man, uh, this is more than i thought about that graveyard in a long time <laughs> Uh, a, <laughs> graveyard memories with Jason. <laughs> I, I was pitching, I was writing for Boston magazine regularly yeah. and it went on for maybe about a year. And then, uh, a senior editor was leaving and an associate editor who's a lower level position was probably going to move up. And I knew this because at this point I had gotten to know some of the editors there and, I was like I, I want that job. I want the associate editor job. I want to get out of newspapers I want to get into magazines because that's the springboard to get into national magazines in New York which was my goal. And I uh, uh, so I, I made it clear to the editor-in-chief that I, I wanted that job. We had a couple conversations and he was kind of hemming and hawing so I lukewarm qu- lukewarm. So I quit my warmer than the people in the graveyard <laughs> and uh, so I uh, I quit my job. in central Massachusetts in the newspaper and I moved to Boston and I got an apartment that cost a hell of a lot of money. I Mm -hmm. I think I went from like a, you know, an apartment that cost $500 a month to $2,400 a month or something. And I told the editor that I was ready to be hired and that could have absolutely backfired on me. And he threw me a couple more freelance pieces and then he hired me.
0: It's kind of that burn the boat strategy, like what Robert Greene in That's his right. 33 Strategies of War says, you know, the death ground approach, where like a general will put his army to the back of, you know, backed up to a mountain when they're outnumbered and yeah. backed up to a river they can't cross so that you just have to fight like hell. That's right. You know, and it's it's That's interesting. Right. And that really works. And it's actually a good, a good strategy. Like, actually, uh, in another one of his books, 48 Laws of Power, he talks about Dostoevsky, who did the same thing with his finances, though. Like, he couldn't write unless he was, mm. like, desperate. So, you know, he was desperate most of his life. And then <clears throat> he was kind of in this counterculture. I don't know if you know the story of Dostoevsky. No. But he was in kind of counterculture, rebel, kind of in these community lounges against the czar or whatever. He got caught. They pulled him up. And had him in the gallows and there was this like moment where, you know, he thought he was going to die and they got finally like a reprieve from the czar and then they got sent to Siberia to work camp and that like changed his idea about what he wanted to do with life and then he came out and he wrote his first novel. The novel was a success, you know, the the big, I forget which title it was, but one of his big successes and then he got wealthy Mm -hmm. and then he couldn't write (laughs) and then one day he was gambling and gambled away all of his money and he was broke and then... All of a sudden, he found he could write again because he was fucking desperate. (laughs) And then so he would repeat that, you know, where he had to, he realized he couldn't write from a position of luxury. He had to write and move forward from a position of abject desperation. And so you would just push all of his money away and then be like, all right, another book's coming because it's got to fucking come. I
1: mean, I would not recommend that as a strategy for everyone, (laughs) but it's good to know what motivates you. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. I mean, Uh, it worked for you,
0: right? I mean, you put put yourself in a position over your head where you had to fucking succeed.
1: That's right. But I There was no choice. That wasn't what I was thinking. What I was thinking was... Nobody's going to nobody's gonna come to me. I got to go to them. Mm-hmm. Like nobody is going to come to this kid working at this community newspaper and say, hey, want a job in the big city? Right. Like nobody's doing that. Yeah. I have to go to that. I have to go to you. That's why I quit those newspaper jobs was because I, I sitting there and like writing another story about the diner in Gardner, Massachusetts was not going to get me to a magazine in New York. What was was quitting sitting in my bedroom and then reaching out to all these magazines and newspapers and saying, hey, I have ideas for you and I can work at your level. Let me show you that I can. Mm-hmm. And that was what, so that's why I moved to Boston because I was like, I'm coming to you. You are not going to come to me. I know you're not. <laughs> I'm going to come to you. And that was about the time to to pay off on this thing that you teed up 10 minutes ago. Uh, that was about the time, I think, that I started saying this thing to myself every day, which was, I'm not fucking around. I just, I'm not, not fucking, fucking around. around Monday. I'm not fucking around <laughs> Tuesday. I'm not fucking around. Like I just kept saying it like it became, it became this thing. I would sometimes I'd like walk down the street and like, almost feel like I'm like a, like in an action movie. I'm not fucking around. <laughs> right. Because it just, it really, it just kind of helped frame for me what it's I, what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. Which was that I'm, I'm, I'm here to work and I'm, I'm here to kick ass and I'm here to see what I'm made of and, and how far I can take myself on my own talent and abilities. And, and, you you can be extremely talented or just motivated or whatever, but you can derail yourself quickly mm-hmm. if you don't remember what your purpose is. And for me, my purpose, I, I've refined what it is over time, but certainly back then it was that I think that I can work at a high level and nobody's given me the opportunity yet. So I'm not fucking around. I'm going to go do it.
0: Yeah it's it's kind of a, I talk about this in in my book in the you know kind of final chapter about how to put all of these practices that I've laid out into action and one of the ways is to create an ethos you know like yeah. it's like the Spartans had an ethos never give up never surrender like that was part of their fucking mindset mm-hmm. and it was something that you didn't have to think about it short-circuited all the thoughts like well maybe it would be a better strategy to surrender at this point and and then that could then maybe get you half in and half out when you're fighting a battle for them they never had that Debate, never give up, never It was really easy, right? Like, really simple. All the mental. Right. What processes. are the rules? Oh, I remember the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, And that's and then a mantra is like a very shortened, like hyphenated version of that because ethos can be have many different things. But that mantra of "I'm not fucking around." Yeah. So anytime you have thoughts about, oh, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. You know, you have your mantra to be like, all right, I'm totally. not fucking around.
1: And you know what's really good about I'm not fucking around. It scales well. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> like it, it applies to when I was just in my entry level position at Boston Magazine to what I'm doing now, where I just keep piling projects on top of myself because I'm not fucking around. Never stops, right? I mean, if I'm if I'm not fucking around now, that means that I still have a lot more to do. Like I'm not resting on this. Mm-hmm. I love this. I love what I do, but it's not it's not the
0: end. It's one yeah. of the best things actually I've ever heard because. It also encompasses prioritization, right? Yeah. It's not only motivation because, like, there's a lot of motivating, you know, mantras. Like uh, Shannon Briggs on Joe Rogan's podcast, you know, he s- talks about how he says, "Let's go, champ! Let's go, <laughs> champ!" It's very motivating. Yeah, and champ has some things, you know, that are good to frame your mind to think of yourself like a champion. So there's some other stuff there, but you know, there's this kind of driving, like just the whip. But then there's also the discretion of fucking around, too. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm not fucking around means that you're working hard, but you're also saying no to the stupid shit that you you shouldn't be doing, Uh too. So it, like, actually encompasses, like, one of the best ones I've ever (laughs) heard, honestly. I have to commend that to you. That's why it, like, stuck in my head because it's a perfect thing for everybody to say to themselves if they really want to make some moves. Mm -hmm. I'm not fucking around.
1: Yeah. I'm not fucking around, and it's funny when I say it to crowds, they laugh because it's it's funny. it, so, it sounds funny, but I think you also laugh. Going <laughs> going back to why God laughs, you go you, you you also laugh because it's it's true. Yeah, you know it's true, and it's something. It's so it's 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 it works. It's easy. It, we're we're not, I'm not fucking around, right? I
0: mean, you can sort of sort yourself pretty quickly. You can sort your life by the times where you're not fucking around or you're well, you fucking are, around, right? Yeah, it's and like can, almost binary.
1: And you can ask yourself, like, <laughs> I, am I fucking around? or yeah. Am I not fucking around? Yeah. Like, which which kind of person do I want to be? Because often people will, I think people will come to my magazine, they come to your podcast, they come to that event that we spoke at, and they're they're often looking for motivation.
0: You can even be not fucking around with your not fucking around.
1: Oh shit
0: you know, and then not fucking around with your fucking around, yeah. you know, like everything you do, it just applies. It's meta. Right. <laughs> it, goes, it cuts all, it cuts it's all true. the way. It cuts, it's so deep. Yeah, that's
1: true. It's, tur- <laughs> it's turtles all the way down.
0: <laughs> that was, that's from, that's from somebody who asked somebody. somebody that's a William James quote. Yeah. Yeah. Let's d- explain d- that. Cause I've heard that before and it cracked me up.
1: So I, I this is I'm pulling from uh, a philosophy class uh, that I took at least 15 years ago. So this is going to be pretty rough. I'm going to get um, angry emails from <laughs> philosophy majors about this. I'm a philosophy but, major. I won't be angry. Okay, great. I appreciate that. So my memory of it, boy, I hope I have William James correct. Is uh, is that William James was um, I think giving a, th- a, a, a sort of a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. What if the what if what if all the world is on the is is, is on the um, uh, the back of a turtle and uh, Uh, A student asks, Well, what's the turtle standing on? And James says, On another turtle. (laughs) And well, what's that turtle standing on? Another turtle. It's turtles all the way down.
0: which i i love. <laughs> i heard it the other this. way i think oh, yeah. where he was asking the student you know like it was it was something else like that could be on the back of a turtle and like what is it and then the student said turtles all the way down but it's oh either, yeah but either way right right it's, it's gra- i
1: actually it's it's a great quote i'm not i'm not sure what to make of it
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i think it puts you in that it puts you in that predicament like it's like like when you're talking to a flat earther right it's like well, what's at the edge of the earth? Well, ice wall. Yeah. Well, what's beyond the ice wall? Well, more ice wall. Right. <laughs> well, what's beyond the more ice, more ice more ice wall ice wall all the way to the end? Yeah. What do you mean ice wall to the way to the end? Like what what are you what are you talking about?
1: Right. It just usually it just keeps going. You know what, <laughs> you know what this reminds me of probably because we've been talking about like that that time in Boston. So I I was when i was at boston magazine and i got an i got a job offer from men's health which would have moved me to new york for a national magazine it was it was my goal right yeah. and not necessarily to work at men's health though i had an amazing time there but to to take that job and um and i i had this I had this. Uh, I was dating uh, so, uh, someone at the time. We were living together, and from your time at Maxim,
0: were you dating somebody? Uh, no, this is before. Oh, okay. Uh,
1: well, I was. I, I got married I get when into I was. That yeah. Too. Oh, okay. We can talk about that. <laughs> no, this is this is, Maxim is later. I was Maxim's married later. by the time I was at Maxim. Okay. Um, that's this that's is, a bummer. I know, but you know what? I was at a different Maxim. It was. A, it what? was.
0: Yeah. It was a different Maxim. Like UK Maxim? Those are still no, no, no. Like, like Maxim, like, like Ma- Brazil Maxim. No. I mean that might even be better. Ma- <laughs> <laughs> <wouldn't> be better.
1: <laughs> no, it was. Um, so Maxim, what year was this? Two thousand and fifteen, sixteen. It came under different ownership, and the goal they they tried to they tried to um, they tried to update Maxim for a more sophisticated thirty something man. They changed Maxim. Yeah, the maximum that you pick up on the newsstand now is not the maximum you remember from growing up. That's a shame. It's a completely. different I have magazine.
0: such fond memories. Yeah, that I know. I well, so so this is so it's like f- Jennifer Love Hewitt covers and like oh
1: yeah, damn. <laughs> I didn't know she was that hot. I no, know. I know, but the pro- here is the problem: the the kids of today that were you of yesterday, they're, they're not picking up a print magazine. No, they have many other ways to find photos of. Jennifer Love Hewitt or whoever yeah, else are interested in, so they're not pr- picking up that print magazine. What Maxim has as a brand is this love from guys who grew up with it, who aren't necessarily attached to it right now. They yeah. love it; they feel warmly towards it. Yeah, but they don't. <laughs>
0: it's one way to describe it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> in a particular region, do they <laughs> feel warmly towards it? Yeah. but they don't. Uh, but they—they're not picking it up they're not reading yeah. it right so the thinking was why don't we advance this magazine to where those guys are now and speak to them as a men's magazine that is relevant to them in their 30s and 40s and they brought on this uh this editor Kate Fear she was from the from T the Sunday Times style magazine mm-hmm. and uh, she became the editor in chief and the idea was to make it like a more mature maxim and that's the, that was the maxim rebranding experiment that I joined did it work uh, it, I, I left after nine months <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I went to entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so it was different. It was totally different. I never went to any Maxim parties. There were right. no like models walking around in the office. It was, it was, it was really different. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know, it was like seeing the, we all see this at various places in the media world, but it was, it was trying to, it was why it was a front row seat to searching for relevancy.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting opportunity because they see something that's you know not exactly hitting and then they try to pivot playboy yeah. tried to do the same thing right? right and i don't think that worked out no so well i think they playboy. went back and then the, now they went back so yeah. clearly it didn't work that right. well. i mean I don't, i'm not you know privy to the numbers or yeah. whatever, but it was a failed experiment i think sometimes people will freak out and try to change their core competency and their mm-hmm. core mission rather than pivoting off of all right what are we really good at and how can we serve that in a different way yeah you know it's it's interesting that choice that that certain companies or brands or magazines or media or whatever will make. I think you got to stick with why people loved you, and then figure out how to deliver that in a way that people still want to consume.
1: Right, but it's at the same time, if the business model, if you have people who love you, but the business model isn't working, you got to try something. Yeah, you know, I, I think I mean but you, it was just change, in... it was
0: the same business model, just different content. Right?
1: But it wasn't. But it wasn't when when maxim was bought and reinvented it wasn't like the the maxim that was purchased was not working it was losing money right right so it was putting out a magazine that looked and felt pretty similar to the magazine that was made in the 90s it was a lot thinner, you know, uh-huh. and it wasn't as it wasn't as good, frankly, just because they didn't have the staff that they right. used to it was it was
0: a writing you know? used to be really good. Actually, I was, yeah. found myself chuckling and like, yeah, it
1: was a funny, funny magazine. Yeah, it was and, funny. and I and I know some of the guys who were and I st- work with some of the guys who were at that previous version of Maxim that got bought and then scrapped. They're great guys. They're really funny. But, you know, when you have a really small team and you're, like, scrambling just to make a thing, you can't put the time and effort into making everything as, like, crisp and amazing. Mm. Yeah, because
0: you're in scarcity at that point. Yeah. You know, you're just trying to survive. That's exactly right. Yeah, I can't play poker with scared money. No, you can't. And that's, you know? and
1: that's I, I mean, that's what a lot of media does. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what that magazine was doing. So I, I think that it was a noble effort. you, yeah. you got to try something, right? Because the option... Otherwise, is to stick with what used to work and what the original vision was, just because that was the original vision, and then just go down with it?
0: No. Well, I think the move is – I mean, they, you're right. you got to try something. For me, the move would have been to look at who's actually killing it. Like we mentioned him mm-hmm. earlier, Chive right. is fucking crushing it. Yes. Like I know those guys. And they don't have a magazine. What mm-hmm. do they have? They have – a strong merch program. Right. They have digital content that's Mm -hmm. just blowing up. They're serving everything exactly where people wanted it. They have, you know, their little in-bar TV, you know, TV stations. They have all of the Instagram and Facebook and all of this digital media and, and that's, and they're, they're slaughtering they're like really killing it and maxim had that opportunity you could have had maxim tv yes and bar restrooms and you could have had maxim tv you know content Mm -hmm. putting it out on facebook and this maxim and then tastemaker parties and things that people still would have gone to and just even taking their baby like you got to kill your darlings that's what stephen king you know obviously said about editing your book like you're gonna kill your darlings and i think at that point that might have been the move to say This was our magazine. We love it. But the magazine is dead. Right. You know. Kill the magazine, divert the resources all into digital. Double down on that. Double down on the brand equity that we have there, and just kill the magazine entirely. And so, what you
1: said, I think, was really important there, where you said they had the opportunity. It was something that it was a move that had to be made early, at a time where I think it would have seemed insane to make that move. Not dissimilar to what we were talking about earlier with Apple pulling the uh, the the headphone jack, right? Mm -hmm. You have to make a move at at a time where you see the future before other people do and you act on it and when you do that other people are going to say whoa like that's a crazy risk you're taking a crazy risk but you know that it's not a crazy risk like Mm -hmm. it's the best risks in entrepreneur in entrepreneurism is the ones that other people think are crazier than you do because you are in it you've done the work you see where it's going so yeah i mean that brand i think had that brand gone out on top like seinfeld (laughs) you know (laughs) right
0: and uh we're going to be something else now. They I think people would look to them as a case example of mm-hmm. wow, that was genius. Yeah. You know, at the time when their magazine was still hot, they scrapped it because mm-hmm. they saw the future. They saw everything was going digital, and they changed all of the delivery of their content and completely rebranded it. Right. Could be the person who made that move would be the person on stage at Synergy yeah, giving right. a <laughs> keynote talking about that visionary move. You mm-hmm. know, like. Blockbuster probably had the chance to be Netflix, you know, at some point. Like, they had the brand equity at that point that if they would have been smart enough and like bold enough to just see where things were going and shift. Oh
1: my God. Could you imagine if Blockbuster had said, everyone, we're shutting down the stores, all the stores. And we're just going to mail you some DVDs, right? Like yeah. before, you know, before Netflix even yep. came around. Yep. But what did Blockbuster do instead? They First, they fought it, right? Because everybody just <laughs> yeah. fights change like fucking idiots. Like they fight <laughs> change. Why, why fight the tide, right? So uh, they fought it and then they tried to copy it. Yeah. And then they- It's too late. And then they were done.
0: It's too late. Anytime you're trying to squash and, and fight and battle the way that the market is going- you're going to lose. Yeah. You know, it's like I was just talking with Jesse about the music industry fighting all of the shared music. Like, good luck. Good luck. Good I luck. Know, right. But it's you know, it's not going to work.
1: And, but now what you're seeing is that the, the numbers are starting to prove out the new model.
0: Yeah. Spotify and everything is the Streaming just, is everything shifts. Streaming They're is making huge.
1: lots of money. Yeah. It's working. There's a transition. Transitions are scary, but you cannot pause time. You can't. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have, it's funny. I, so I, um, I have this podcast called Pessimists Archive. It's a, a history of unfounded fears of innovation where every episode we look at the moment a new piece of technology or innovation was introduced and try to understand why it freaked everybody out. And these are all stories. The things that we take for granted in our lives, the coffee we're drinking right now, the recorded music uh, that, that, our, that our listeners listen to, uh, everything was fought against. Everything and it, it's really interesting to see how they tried to how people tried to stop it. Um, sometimes the way that they tried to use legislation to stop it. I did an episode on the bicycle, and uh, and the bicycle was fought tooth and nail. Like people <laughs> fucking hated the bicycle for so many reasons. But I, one of the one of my favorite things in that episode is I I um I found this this chunk of uh, uh, of text from. I guess it would have been late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, it was a, a report about the economic impact of the bicycle and talking to all of these people who um, are part of part of an aging economy who are now very upset. So, for example, uh, guys who sold like those fancy hats mm-hmm. were very upset because bicyclists don't buy the fancy hats. They buy like a like a cheaper hat. Right. You know, and um uh uh bars were upset because bicyclists wanted to drink water instead of sit in the bar and have beers all day. Right. And they're they're like they're they're blaming the bicycle for this. Like it is it probably is probably horse in, horse them.
0: industry, I guess.
1: Oh yeah. Horse the, industry was pissed. Oh yeah. Well the horse industry was pissed about a lot of things. Did you know <laughs> did you know that when the when the when the car we called the horseless carriage at first, when the car first hit the streets and it would pass by. People would yell, get a horse at, at the car. Really? <laughs> yeah, actual thing. Like that was a common phrase at the time, get a horse. So anyway, there was a guy, it was, I think it was the hat guy who had proposed legislation that every cyclist has to buy a certain number of like fancy caps, right, to make up for the lost Income for the hat makers to try try to yeah. keep that industry where it was frozen in time in ember instead of protected just...
0: protected habitat.
1: right instead of you know what that guy could have done made fucking bicycle hats <laughs> that's what he could have done right yeah. oh you have a new customer and they like hats they just like different kinds of hats make those fucking hats <laughs> yeah like but people don't think that they instead they they dig in they stay with the old model they stay with whatever it was that they were comfortable with because I think. People like to, people like what they know and they don't want to learn something else. And that is when you get passed by.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, you look at industries now that that's happening too, like Cabbie's fighting you know, ride sharing platforms. Yes. You know, like I remember for a while in Vegas, every cabbie had this like fucking big circle with an X through Uber, like mm-hmm. anti Uber. And they'd be getting in yelling matches with Ubers this year, <laughs> like driving by cabs are a miserable experience. Yes. Like Ubers are a far superior experience in general mm-hmm. to that. And they'll fight it. And even in Austin, they actually succeeded for a while and banned Uber. And guess what happened? Drunk driving went up. Traffic fatalities yeah. went up. Like the, the decision to ban Uber that they actually got through the legislation temporarily was catastrophic, mm-hmm. and, you know, not in like mass numbers, but like there was people who got hurt from that decision, yeah, you know, because they're trying to protect this old industry instead of advancing the times instead of cabs having a way better mobile system that actually worked and then mm-hmm. the, you know converting and going with, oh, People want people to pick me up on time, be accountable, know who it is, have a fucking rating, and be able to know that I can put in exactly where I'm going and not fuck with it at the beginning and not worry about payment at the end. Yeah. You know, like that's a better system. Let's just adapt to that instead of holding on to these old. Monopolies. Yeah. You know, it's like oligarchs holding on to their old mm-hmm. old ways. But sure. now in our time, you're just the high, the tighter you hold, the more fingernails you're gonna lose. That's right. Because it's gonna get ripped from you. That's
1: right. You can hold on for a while. If you've got enough money yeah. and enough power and enough access to Washington, say you you can hold on for a while, <laughs> but you're gonna lose out in the end. And and that, that's that's the lesson of history, right? I mean, if if you go back and you look at any of these moments where something new was introduced and you see people fight against it, they always lose. Yeah. <laughs> they always lose yeah right i mean literally if we if if like, they won we wouldn't be sitting here right now because we wouldn't have these fucking microphones in front of us <laughs> right yeah. because people fought against microphones they fought against recorded music they thought that everything had to be live
0: yeah i mean you look at it now people are fighting against legal marijuana yeah good luck good Too luck late too late right <laughs> it's like it's got momentum now people realize that this is stupid uh-huh. and states are making more money people are being safer you know people are treating conditions and you know they're like I, you look at Jeff Sessions and he's talking about you know we're gonna win this war on the opioid crisis because we're gonna have these pill buybacks where everybody's gonna voluntarily give up their pills and we're gonna take them off the streets I'm like no No, that's not going to work. That's not the way it works. It Mm -hmm. works by finding another alternate solution, like saying, hey, let's relax the CBD laws and refine that and give people another opportunity, you know, to find another way to fight pain, another way to. Mm -hmm. No, of course not. They're trying to hold on to the old restriction, prohibition, ban, fight the times, you know, war on this, war Mm -hmm. on that, rather than, no, let's innovate a new, better way. That's
1: right. Because what they want to do is go backwards. Yeah. They just want to go to a time when the problem didn't exist, which means that they want to reverse time. But you got to deal with the current yeah. and the current means that you got to find something for the future
0: so if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this yes yeah. i'm sure some or someone who wants to wants to be an entrepreneur wants to take control of their own destiny because i think that was a, the absolute right definition like mm-hmm. i want to take control of my own destiny i'm yeah. tired of being a cog in a machine that i don't really believe in you know what do you think is you know what are like the very basic steps that you would say that someone should take like what's the first the first move on the board
1: Man, I mean, it's so situational. But I would say the 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 first thing you need to do is experiment. Yeah. You know, um, what are you what are you good at? What can you contribute? What can you build? What kind of thing would you like to do? I mean, I think that just you know the reason why need a business idea here at Fifty Two is so is so popular. It's because people just need a starting point. Yeah. You know, and I think that people often, you lose people at the start. You lose people at the starting line. They don't even move to the first step. And you need to move to that first step. And whatever that first step is for you, it could be that you you have some kind of talent and you, you see if you can kind of build a side hustle off of it and just see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Not only just see how it goes. I, I think sometimes people uh, think that they're, they're only testing their idea. But frequently when you move forward in any capacity, you're testing yourself. Yeah. You're seeing, can I do this? Do I have the motivation to do this? Do I, have the, do I have the bandwidth to do whatever I need to do right now to feed my family, to, you know, whatever situation you have, but to also add something else on the side that could create the future for you? Mm-hmm. Can you do that? Because you won't know unless you try and i think that people will often be surprised that if you find something you love and you tell yourself i'm not fucking around <laughs> and you see how you do with it you'll discover that you 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 have a untapped reservoir of energy and ideas that you can you can direct towards something that, that are currently going completely unused. I, I, it's that it's that first step, and that first step is going to be different for everybody. Yeah, I yeah think.
0: sure. It'll it'll apply to their own specific proclivities and their yeah. talents and the ability to bridge. I always like to talk to people about, you know, you're probably not going to be the best at just one thing, yeah. right? But you can add your unique perspective and then blend those two things together. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, Whitney's sitting here in the room, my fiance, and we talked about, blending you know she's always loved hosting she's hosted you know on sales channels and jewelry channels Mm -hmm. and she also was interested in martial arts and also had a pageant and we're like how can we blend all of those things together? And, you know, so she went into her martial arts career and then ultimately blended that by being the host for Glory Kickboxing now, mm-hmm. right? Like something that was unique. Well, I've done pageants, I've done yeah. hosting, and I know fighting. Like now we can find the nexus point and then there'll be a career at that That's nexus right. point, which is, her, which is her dream job. So like finding the areas, maybe you like, you know, you're really into fishing, but you're also into this other thing and like is there a nexus point between fishing and this other thing that you can create <laughs> uh-huh. and then build a business so that's where I like people to think about it but then I think it's not just the getting started it's getting started to the point where you have an opportunity to fail because that's mm-hmm. where I think people pull back that's really great point. like I have you know I have a talented artist friend who takes all of her art to about 75 to 80 percent complete and she's had offers I've seen her get offers for her finished art but she won't finish it. Mm. You know, it's like there's something like if she actually finishes it, then she's got to see if it sells. And yeah. then she's got to see if a gallery will put it up. And, and then scary. she's got to face the rejection for it. Right. You know, and it's that's a very literal form where it's an actual piece of art that has a completion. But in all these businesses or podcasts, you know, people kind of get it started and then pull back before they really have to put themselves on the line. Yeah. But if you can go to the point where you fail, then you'll learn something. And then you can do that again. Like if you really are serious, you're really not fucking around, just keep going to the point of fail. Take that blow to your ego. Learn, mm-hmm. adapt, and fail again. That's but, right. Like, go all the way to either fail or success. Don't pull back so that it's nebulous, so that you've protected yourself. So you don't worry if, well, you know, if it didn't work, I didn't really finish the art. So who knows? Like go all the way to the point of success or fail. And either way it's a win, you know, because you'll you'll know at that point.
1: I really love that. That's 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 so, so true. You'll because you, when you get to that fail, you have to you have to change. Yeah, and that's that's really that's really hard because th- at that point you are now going to have to challenge the the vision and the thing that motivated you in the first place. Right. right, you have to get to that point where you know you 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 started the paint and sip because you thought people wanted to paint Picasso, and now you got it. You got to change, right? Yeah. And that I think that's that's really hard for people. But I also I love you know I just I love that example that you gave of of finding the nexus point because. Mm-hmm. Um, um, people have, you have, you have a lot of interests. I think more, you have more marketable skills than, than you realize. A- everybody does. Right. But also at the same time, I always encourage people to go think about skills as a, as a, as a, as a goal in, in and of itself. Just go learn something. Yeah. Right. Just go try something just to learn it. I started that podcast just to learn podcasting, mm-hmm. right? I didn't know if it was going to make me money. I didn't know what the hell it was going to do for me. You know what it did for me? It it still hasn't made me money. Now I pass it my archive, uh, but it it um, one it taught me a different kind of writing style, which was really valuable. I mm-hmm. always love learning different kind of writing styles. It makes me a better thinker. Makes me a better writer. Um, it. Improved my ability to speak, which I now use on other podcasts like this and also on stage. And then when I was at Entrepreneur and we decided to start a podcast network, guess who was the in-house expert on podcasting? I was because I had started this thing by myself just for the fuck of it, Yeah, you know, and... I did not know where that was going to lead. I didn't have an ROI attached to jumping into podcasts. I just knew that by continuing to do it and refine it, I was going to learn something that would be valuable at some time. Mm -hmm. And once you arm yourself with more skills, you can find the intersections. You can find those nexuses. And there's just more of them because you know how to do more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Be great. Practice being great. You know, practice being you know, acquiring these skills. And then, as you said, more nexus points will form, more opportunities will form. I'm the perfect example of that, of having so many different nexus points that ultimately the company that I'm running is the combination of all of those. And the book that I'm writing is the combination of everything. Like there's people who are, More experts on sleep, better experts on sex, better experts on nutrition, better experts on every one of these topics could be a 400-page book on its own. But the nexus point of how to put them all together, you know, I mean, like, the perfect example of that, like, being able to draw multiple nexus points and create – a business and a movement surrounding mm-hmm. that. But everybody has that opportunity. You take all the skills that you've had. And in and, and every one of those things, I've had my time where I'm not fucking around and I'm learning and trying and going as hard as I could to get that. You know, and then it creates just more opportunities to create products, to create ideas, to create different things. But we all have those, and, yeah. and if we don't, then we need to start making some more of them. So maybe that very first initial step: if you're like, "All right, what are my nexus points? What are two things that I'm really good at that I can combine?" Well, I only got one thing. Well, like you said, fucking learn more skills, mm-hmm. like practice juggling or darts or fucking I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Start just picking up these different things, and then you know, maybe you have an idea in your head, but if not just start being great at something.
1: Yeah. I was speaking in a NYU journalism class last night and a student asks me, as asked me as, as students always do, was I worried about getting pigeonholed or did I, did I, you know, did I did I worry about, um, um, find needing only one focus, right? Cause I'm, I've been all, all over the place. And I told her what I always tell students, which is that, um, one, I've always thought of jobs as skill sets. Uh, in, 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 like, I think, what can I learn that I don't know at this job that will make me more valuable at my next job? And uh, and then build my ladder up from there. So every job I, I, I've learn I've taken for a specific reason. I took the men's health job to learn how to do front of book editing. I took fast company, which is where I went next to learn how to do uh, a long form feature editing. And then bonus, they launched a video department and I jumped into that to learn how to do video. Then I took the Ma- the maximum job, actually not because I cared about Maxim, I took it because uh, I wanted t- the experience of, of, um, of working like across, like I wanted, I was a deputy editor position, so it was working with lots of different people on lots of different things and I, I wanted to be able to juggle. I wanted to learn that kind of management, you know, now that I learned the skills underneath the management and and on and on you go. And at some point, you, me, when you think about how, what am I adding and where am I going? It's valuable to know where you're going. I found that it's not valuable to have one specific goal in mind because that ultimately narrows what opportunities I take. If I thought I only want to be editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, I would have turned down all the opportunities that actually did get me to become editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. So instead, I had to think what thing is so core to me that lots of different things can revolve around it. Mm -hmm. And for me, that thing is this. I like to tell stories in my own voice. That's it that that is the definition of my career that is every opportunity that i will take that is the filter by which i will put things through because that is so broad that I can take on lots of different opportunities uh, that allows me to launch a podcast and it allows me to write a novel with my wife, which I just did. It allows me to do all sorts of crazy things that are not part of whatever traditional career path somebody might have put me on or that I might have accidentally limited myself to earlier. You have to find that core thing that isn't so narrow that you miss out on all the amazing things that you need to learn to move
0: forward. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice, brother. Um, it's been great sitting down here hey with man. Hey, man, I really appreciate yeah, for you sure. having me on here. Uh, dollar subscription magazine? Yeah, let's do magazine. it. <laughs> I heard that that was a possibility. <laughs> it is a possibility. You get this magazine for a buck.
1: That's right. That's right. You get a magazine for not free, but so close to free. <laughs> so close. Right? It's the best price except for free. <laughs> and one penny to 99 pennies. Um, so if you go to entrepreneur.com slash insider, promo code insider, that will get you double that insider. That will, get, that will get you the whole double the whole thing. There it is, insider, insider, Entrepreneur.com slash insider promo code insider. That is my super secret, not that secret, because I'm talking about it on podcast. <laughs> but I want I want your I want I want entrepreneurs to have access to the magazine, and I want to lower the barrier as much as possible. So it's a great that.
0: opportunity to learn from people who've done there, who've yeah. done it and been there, and, and right. all the lessons. And I think you know, one thing that's great is people are really open, even on our panel, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of the best are really open to yeah. talk about their failures, talk about the ways they fucked up, talk about the things the, that they struggle with. It's, it's the
1: reason I love talking to entrepreneurs is yeah. because they are so embracing of their failures. And so uh, one one other One other resource I've got, Mm -hmm. uh, which actually is free, free, there's no, you don't have to pay for this, is uh, so I also have a podcast for entrepreneur called Problem Solvers. Just search Problem Solvers, you'll get it. Every episode is an entrepreneur talking about how they solved an unexpected problem in their business. And again, I love that entrepreneurs are so, they're so open about it because they know that it's not embarrassing to have faced a problem, to have not known something was coming. And frankly, if you are talking about the problem that you solved. You're talking about being a smart person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like you solved right. it. You saw it. And, and, and but it's also just so relatable. Like we need to. We need to. I think as a as a culture, be really embracing of where we fuck up, because it's nothing to be ashamed of, and we are all works in progress. We're all. You know, uh, Reid Hoffman calls it uh, living in permanent beta. You yeah. know, you don't, if you don't think of yourself as something that needs to be perfect, then you are you are embracing of the constant evolution of yourself and what you do and that's what entrepreneurism is all about
0: yeah that's that that perfection myth is what keeps people from putting out their art or keeps people from out like that if that failure will somehow attach a a stigma or a stink and allow make you realize that you aren't perfect well guess what you're not fucking perfect anyway so just put it out there just put it out there nobody
1: expected you to be perfect no and and
0: everybody everybody you talk to you know is grateful for the failures. Mm-hmm. Grateful, I learned a lot from that. Yeah, day. nobody's like, yeah, I failed, it ruined my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, like That's right. Like you don't hear that That's from anybody. Right. And
1: and you know what? Also, I'm sure you get this. I get this a lot. Whenever I write about a failure of mine, people love it. Yeah, they really love it. They praise it on Twitter or whatever. Sure. It's like. They want to hear you talk about this stuff, right? (laughs) They don't want you to be this person who just projects perfectionism. They want the real thing. That is what connects people to you, is you showing the real side of you because everyone else is feeling the real side of themselves.
0: 100%. My man. Oh, hey. also, pessimist yeah. archive. Yes. Listen to that. Pessimist That's super archive. interesting to me. Let's rattle off like ten things that people tried to fight. The pessimists thought we're going to ruin the world. Okay. Yeah. Ten things. Lightning round.
1: Oh uh, lightning round. Okay. Uh, um. So some of the episodes: the Walkman, uh, <laughs> recorded music, the uh, the umbrella. We did an episode on the umbrella. Coffee is the next episode. Chess. Uh, the novel. The comic book. <laughs> pinball. Uh, The horseless carriage, and we need one more. We need one more. Um, indoor lighting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> one day we'll look at all the things we're fighting now, and it'll be in that category. Well, that's the thing. And There'll be people podcasting like I,
1: they tried to make weed illegal. They the reason, for a while. the reason I do this show, it's called it's called Pessimist Archive. It is an optimistic show because here's the thing: we do not break easily. You know, the h- history is us fearing that new innovations will destroy us. And what we find over and over again is that they just make us better. And so when you look at things today that we fear, like, oh, my God, texting is changing everybody's minds and now nobody can pay attention. Fuck that. We're all going to be OK. <laughs> yeah. We're all going to be OK. Amen.
0: Thank you, brother. Hey, appreciate you. you. Check them out everywhere. Peace. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. I know that time is limited and there's a ton of great content out there, but I just really wanted to highlight how good the material is coming from the On It podcast, now with the host, Kyle Kingsbury. He is genuinely one of the most knowledgeable dudes I know, one of the most true-to-the-bone human optimizers I've ever met. A lot of people will wear that mask. You know, and then you'll get to know them and you'll drop into their life and they're not actually walking the walk. This dude is walking the walk. He's really doing the practices. He really understands the game and his interviews are just on another level. So please, if you haven't yet, just drop into any episode of the On It podcast. I know there's a new one coming out with Paul Check, and there's gonna be all kinds of great content coming from Kyle Kingsbury and the On It podcast. So just give it a listen. I bet you won't be disappointed. And thanks again, everybody.